0: The Anton Savage Show, Sunday. Brought to you by PWC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions.
1: On News Talk. We'll be looking at all the news worth talking about this weekend, and essentially it boils down to three big areas. The first of those is RTE. There's more RTE coverage. On, On the one hand, you have the Sunday Indo telling us that the Taoiseach wants RTE to be paid for by the Exchequer. If you were listening to this program yesterday, you will have heard. Mark Hennessy, the Britain and Ireland editor of the Irish Times, um, making a very impassioned plea against the notion that that would be done because it gives direct control, or at least direct purse-string control, over the broadcaster to the government. Well, it seems that that's what the Taoiseach wants, although the subhead in the Indo says that the coalition is still divided on the issue. The other thing that then that is uh, getting a lot of coverage this weekend is Ian Bailey, uh, the recently deceased Ian Bailey. There's an awful lot of coverage of what kind of a person he was and a lot of speculation now, of course, unshackled largely from defamation law that you can now speculate as to his role in uh, the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier, And a lot of the papers are doing that. And there's a lot of reporting as well on that Garda raid into Ian Bailey's home and what they might have been looking for with the Sunday Times telling us raid on Bailey Flat, quotes, to find new DNA evidence. And the subhead says, Gardy hoped to build new profile of dead, suspect to verify any link to the 1996 murder of Sophie Tuscon de Plantier. I suppose probably the newsiest news of the weekend is on the front of the Business Post, which has a Red Sea poll, one of these regular polls that the um, Sunday newspapers do. And usually the moves in them are if not predictable, at least within the bounds of some level of expectation. This one seems to be outside those bounds. Big picture of Mary Lou MacDonald on the front of the Business Post, and it says, Sinn Féin poll crisis, four years of gains wiped out in what is one of the worst polls for Sinn Féin since the last general election. And we're joined from uh, the Business Post by Daniel Murray, who is political correspondent with the paper. Daniel, just walk us through the headline numbers, would you please?
2: Yeah, of course. So obviously the the main number there being Sinn Fein support having declined four percentage points to 25% in this month's Red Sea poll and as you say that's the lowest level of support they've had since the last general election and the results will be particularly worrying for Sinn Féin because it solidifies a longer term decline in support uh, for the party over two polls. It's actually seen a seven percentage point uh, decline which is very, very significant. In terms of the other parties, broadly a lot of the parties staying the same. Fine Gael staying at 20%. Fianna Fáil up 1% to 17%. Independent candidates up 2 percentage points to 15%. And to Pat Tobin's party, up three percent All of the other parties staying relatively the same. So as you can see, the, the big news out of this poll being that decline in support for Sinn Féin compounding a much longer-term decline.
1: And if we look then at the uh, at the comparison of effectively the right-left block, so taking Sinn Féin as the party of the left with uh, 25% finnfall and finnegale if i'm right combined now have 37% is that it <laughs>
2: They do. Uh, and the big question has always been not if Sinn Féin is going to achieve a, a majority to get into government. It, it has always been whether or not they would be able to, to lead a party uh, in a coalition government after the next election. And on these figures, certainly it is still the largest party, but it has fallen substantially. And the argument that the current government, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and even the Green Party or or some other uh, uh, small party could make up a coalition to lead the next government is certainly much more palatable on, on this poll than on on previous polls. And of course, this shows um, uh, this 25% for Sinn Féin, even though still the largest party, it's down from a high of 36% uh, in May 2022. So an 11 point fall um, over that u- uh, nearly two years. So very, very significant fall for the party.
1: It raises two questions then, that being where and why. So demographically and geographically, where are we seeing the biggest shifts for, fin- uh, for Sinn Féin? And is there any good reason as to why we're seeing this downward trend?
2: Sigh So what's interesting is when you do take a look at that longer term decline. So if you compare a poll from May 2022 when the party was on 36% uh, to today's poll when it's on 25%, you can see some really interesting trends um, emerging. First of all is that Sinn Féin doesn't appear to be competing with the other government parties for votes anymore. So primarily it's competing against the rest of the opposition. So there's this block of people that want change from the main government parties. they're fairly fickle about who uh, they want that change to be. So a lot of Sinn Féin support flowing over that long period of time to to independents and even to the Social Democrats since uh, Holly Cairns has has come in as leader there. The party has seen a very significant long-term reduction in its support from male voters. So back in May 2022 41% of men said that they would vote uh, Sinn Féin and just 24% in today's poll say um, that they will. Also a very significant decline in support from young people, so 18 to 34-year-olds, a decline in support from kind of middle to to upper class, social class um, brackets, and the longer term um, data also suggesting that Sinn Féin support has fallen substantially across the board, um, but that younger, wealthier, Dublin-based and male voters are turning away from the party faster than any other cohort.
1: Thank you very much for that analysis. That's Daniel Murray who's political correspondent at the Business Post which has that poll and we're going to be getting into it in a little bit more detail and whether or not it is likely to continue through into the next election and what's the driving force behind it because there's a lot of um, uh, supposition is the wrong phrase but there's there's a lot of analysis in the paper that wonders whether or not it might be elements of the way the party has dealt with the housing crisis whether it might be to do with a vote moving to the right. We also will be just discussing the implications for other parties because things don't exactly look rosy in the garden for the Greens or for Labour. Well, I said that we were going to be getting into uh, analysis of that Business Post poll and also analysis of the other stories uh, making the news this weekend. And we're doing that through the good offices of Public Affairs, uh, consultant Jared Howland, of course um, a columnist for the Irish Times as well, Paul Hayes, CEO of Beach Hut PR, and Tanya Ward of the Children's Rights Alliance. Morning, folks. Morning. Morning. Are you surprised at the precipitous decline of Sinn Féin? I'm confused. Yeah. You're con- it is such a rare thing to see you confused. All right, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of Jared's confusion after we take this break. Just in case you didn't hear Daniel Murray giving us the breakdown, they are down 4%, which combined with the previous polls means a drop of 7%, a very precipitous drop, bringing them now to, I think, 25% in total support and uh, the Fine gael block at 37%. Why,
3: Jared? There was a Sunday independent poll on the 7th of January which is not very long ago, that had Sinn Féin at 30%. That's why I'm confused. Uh, the Sunday Independent poll and today's Sunday Business Post poll were very consistent in relation to every other party. But on Sinn Féin, there's a big difference, hence the confusion. And I think we need several more polls over the next month or two to see really where the land lies. I think there was a very consistent, steady... Uh, given during all of 2023 and much of 2022, where the rise of Sinn Féin, that rise was 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 very steady. Um, the, the range of issues that were of most concern was very steady, but that has changed. The matrix of issues that concern and animate voters has changed, and that is underlying... Changed this, from what to what? Well, I think the rise of the uh, migration, immigration, asylum issue, which was there to an extent always... But has increased significantly. Uh, the 23rd of November, uh, the riots, I think something crystallized then. Um, nothing's ever been quite the same since. And where that goes in this year of 2024, I think will determine the outcome for parties and ultimately the election of the government.
1: I would have thought though that they were things that if you were in opposition you would see as advantageous. You were able to point to the government and say you're losing control of law and order and the housing crisis that we have been going on about for some time is now coming to fruition in another area that being uh, immigration. Paul? I
4: I, I think the, the coalition of Sinn Féin support was always contradictory. You know, you had the always core what I would call the novena nationalists you know, who tend to be quite conservative and then the uh, you know, left-leaning and then the disaffected. And I always expected if they got into government that it would fall apart. I just didn't think it would come here. And I think Jared is right. I think it's immigration. Ona Mali has a very good column in the Indo on it where he's saying, you know, Fine Gael voters don't tend to get affected by the issues around migration and immigration. And, you know, Sinn Féin voters do. They're at the cold face of or as They see its services being depleted and everything else. And...
1: But again, you know, is that not reason to vote Sinn Fein? If you feel that these issues are directly impacting you and that the Fine Gael government isn't doing anything, Finegel Finophobe government isn't doing anything about it, that's why you would go for but, Sinn Fein. But that really? doesn't square
4: the circle for that that's that's what I mean, that they're a very contradictory coalition because left-wing people tend to be very pro-immigration and assimilation and everything else, and then some other people who are disaffected because of lack of services or housing aren't. And look, I hope it doesn't break apart, because I'd be scared about where Things may end up when it's less controlled, but i yeah it's it yeah
0: uh, i mean I mean the irony in it as well is that we actually need migrants to provide the services. And that's one of our big issues in lots of different areas. Like in in my organisation, we have 100 plus member organisations. In every field, we don't have enough workers, we don't have enough teachers, we don't have enough social workers, we don't have enough people working at the care industry. And normally you would rely on migrant workers to help fill those shortages because it takes up to 10 years to have the workforce that you need to work in these different areas. And, And I think it's correct. I think that the Sinn Féin voters have different views about what the origin of the immigration issues is. I mean, no politician can change what's happening in the migration at the moment. There's a war happening. The biggest war we've seen since the Second World War, the biggest movement of people that we've seen since the Second World War and Ireland is playing its part. It's not playing its part directly. It's not providing weapons, money Although towards Shin the war. Fain
1: would argue that you could change a big uh, part of the problem with immigration in that you could change the housing crisis and therefore you would have places available for refugees. Oh no, Brain, writing in one of the papers yeah, that yeah. says exactly that, throw but money here, at it, but here is incident. the issue.
0: Here is the issue. The government is not using private rental accommodation to house any of the refugees coming into Ireland. They're using commercial properties. It's like a clear government strategy to avoid impacting on the housing market, and that's why lots of people are protesting. They're not happy that their their, their hall in the in the local hotel is being used for housing migrants and refugees instead of being used for their christenings and their their family parties and gatherings. That, that, that there's a clear sentiment there. People aren't happy about it. But housing has not been used for that. That what, you could, what you could accuse the government of is not doing enough to create more supply to house refugees and migrants. We've relied on the hotel sector for far too long is the real issue. Uh, they should have, and they should have started from the very beginning. When a, a but again, is this,
1: if you're, not, if you're an, an opposition, would you not say, great, this is grist to our mill. We can use this on the doorsteps to say, look at the level of ineptitude. Come vote for us. How is Sinn Féin failing in recent times? capitalise on that according to this point.
0: But they can't, misre- they can't represent, misrepresent the issue. Um, I mean, there's 100,000 Ukrainians who arrived into the country. No, no country can represent, and that's what they're trying not to do, it, it's, it's to assume that they have any control over the numbers of people coming to Ireland because there's a war. But yes, they should be talking about providing alternative accommodation. They should be talking about why has the government not built, uh, they have lots of state land, there's lots of money there, they haven't moved forward building alternative accommodation for these people to take them out of the hotel sector.
1: So, what happens then if, if the trend continues as is? Because we spoke a while ago on this program to Ivan Yates, who was predicting a 40 seat um, influx for Sinn Féin in the uh, next general election. His old pal, Phil Hogan. Is quoted in the papers this weekend, say not a bit. Finnegall and Finneval stay together, and if they transfer to each other, they can happily motor home in the next election. I
3: don't think Phil went so far in what he's quoted as saying in today's papers. They say they can happily motor home.
1: I was paraphrasing slightly. I, I, I think they. can... He did say that though they could be returned as the next government. Yeah, if they, they
3: can. To there him. are circumstances in which that can happen, uh, and, and he is right about that. Uh, the problem, by the way, of throwing money at the problem is that that isn't working. Because we, you cannot throw capacity at the problem. And Ireland's problem is not a money problem, it is a capacity problem. It is a capacity on the one hand of people in jobs, uh, of which we need more. But for those people then to be housed, we need a lot more infrastructure. And it's not just houses, it's energy, it's sewerage, it's water, it's all of those things. And we have a capacity problem that is not going to be solved easily four, five, six years minimum before or over the worst of it. And there's no Sinn Féin solution and there's no government well, solution let me put the to Sinn that Fein underlying to you. capacity
1: problem. Owen O'Brien writing in the mail on Sunday, he's talking now not just about, home, uh, about housing but he's talking about the homelessness as the tip of that iceberg. He says, homelessness is not a natural phenomena. It is not, that's his words and uh, not mine, it is not, as some government ministers claim, a complex issue with many causes. And he asserts throughout his entire piece that effectively if you spent the money you could fix this right rapid.
3: So what you can do if you spend money among a range of problems, if you're prepared to pick a single issue and you focus on that single issue, you can probably make significant progress quickly. But we don't have a single issue because unlike what Owen says, it is a complex problem in terms of housing, infrastructure, different sorts of housing from refugees to homeless to young couples to singles and all the rest. And you, ca- no amount of money, like um, you know, trying to plaster a wall and, and throwing it up and hope some of it sticks, is going to solve those problems quickly. Uh, and an underlying capacity problem cannot be solved by money alone. Paul We've We've more money now
4: available than the history of the world and there's no one that's pro-homelessness so I I don't see it. I see everything obviously through the prism of my home county of Tipperary which sometimes resembles Alabama more than anywhere else but if you look at the protests after the racket hall, who was on the platform? It was a Sinn Féin TD who was a 9-11 denier. I assumably won't you know, be the Sinn Féin TD afterwards it was Matty and it was Michael Lowry and how do they square that with, you know the left wing of the party that doesn't I imagine feel the same way and, and feel empowered to go on platforms like that. Uh, that's where I think the heart of the contradiction is. Well so explain is. the
1: demographic shift then because that was the thing that I thought, was one of the things I thought was interesting in Daniel Murray's analysis. He said that if you look at the, the support for, fin, for Sinn Féin where there has been a significant drop is among male voters. 41% down to 24% and a significant shift in the 18 to 34s. Why young men departing the party? Or departing support of that? And party? they used to, Sinn
3: Féin historically... Uh, when they, they were still associated with a past that is now over, had a big gender gap, which was in favour of men. Yeah. Uh, if you go back to the 90s and the noughties, Sinn Féin had significantly more men supporting them than women, yeah. and now that is reversed. I'd,
0: I'd say the profile probably has dipped a bit on housing. And, you know, the time the time is coming where I think the different government parties will start outlining their stall when it comes to solving the housing crisis. You're probably likely to see Sinn Féin come, being much more public, I think, throughout the year as they pull out the different ideas that they're intending to roll with if they do get into government. Um, but I feel a lot of the parties aren't focusing on what the core problem is, to be honest. Um, I mean, it, it, it sickens me when there's a headline around small small landlords leaving the market again. It's like, it's like we're fixated on the landlords or fixated on the developers. We've built the whole housing sector around these market forces and not around what the people need. I mean... It is hugely complex to address, but I see real issues every day. I mean, there's TUSLA competing with another public agency for housing for children and care. The HSE competing with TUSLA for housing for uh, uh, children with disabilities and residential care. The problem is, is actually how we plan out our local communities and societies. It's not sufficient just to focus on housing or social housing as, as, as the issue. In other countries, and the Vienna model is getting more prominence, I think, in, in Ireland, um, they actually build their housing planning laws and policy around the needs of women and children. Um, and that's the starting point. They build it out and they plan it out for all the different people living in their communities, not a built around the needs uh, of the lobbyists and the developers.
1: Okay. I, I should say, we extended an invite to owner O'Brien to join us uh, on the programme to discuss the, both the poll and um, his his uh, piece in relation to homelessness. But he was working this morning and unable to join us. If you want to get in touch, 53106 at a cost of 30 cent or 087 And in relation to housing, one of the uh, interesting things this week is the revelation that Ryanair, of all people, have bought 40 houses in North Dublin because they found that their own staff were struggling so significantly to find housing. So we'll be talking uh, out of 11 o'clock with Minister Simon Coveney about the impact that the housing crisis is having on employment. Text to say, regarding the latest poll, the changes in the fortunes as uh, described by Anton are not too difficult to decipher. Sinn Féin apparently believe that it's enough for them to rubbish the efforts of the government but they continually offer fantasy as their cure for the country's ills. The Greens are seen as a single policy party willing to clutter up the roads and disrupt the traffic with their plastic poles. Labour are utterly irrelevant and remembered in particular for their own disastrous time with the Minister for Social Protection as every possibility they will cease to exist following the upcoming election. What of those two parties, Jared? Because if you're looking at their poll performances in this poll, Greens and Labour, you'd be struggling to find solace.
3: You would, accept SOC DEMs and Labour at about 10-11%, depending on which poll you prefer, or where the Labour Party was historically on bad days. Um, The Greens are at three or four. What will happen with these three parties, SOC DEMs, Labour and Greens, is there will be one of each competing for a seat, usually one seat only, very occasionally a second seat in, in, in most constituencies. And whichever one of them is ahead of the other two will get the seat. And the two behind would be the dead bodies. So in this campaign, which is far away the circumstances of which we cannot predict, there will be a gust of wind that will blow one of them forward and the other one back.
1: And how is it that since Gilmore, I mean, we've had the, we've had the Alan Kelly experiment, we've had now the uh, Ivana Bacic experiment, we've had the Brendan Howland experiment, how have none of the shifts in leadership managed to work for Labour and how have the Greens not managed to capitalise on the world's biggest problem being at the heart of their policy platform?
3: Well, on Labour, Labour made two great Mistakes in its history. One was in uh, 1918 in not contesting that election and effectively standing back from what was the co- the conflict of nationalism and nation forming at the time. And the second was in 2011, unnecessarily going into government with Fine Gael, when it could have stayed out and been uh, a socialist o- op- opposition and building forward on a platform uh, that was credible to it to its own followers and to its own values and vain old men and one or two vain old women decided that the country couldn't do without them one more time, and out of that came this catastrophe that they're not going to get out of uh, in their
1: political. Uh, and lifetime. what of the Greens? Why have the Greens not capitalised on climate change? Why have they not managed but to make more?
4: Everyone's wearing their clothes; they don't need to. I think they are. They have a perception yeah. problem in that it's. I love all the stuff that they do bring in that are seen as the Figueres, the bike lanes, and everything else. And there are plastic
1: poles. The plastic to this poles text. are
4: exactly what's needed. You know, it should only be electric cars in the cities, just to annoy you, Anton. And. Uh, but I do think if you look at what Pascal donahue brought in and now Michael McGrath in terms of carbon tax, that is fundamentally changing the nature of Ireland for the next 20 or 50 years. The stuff that's now baked in is changing the economics. It's changing how we can spend and where we go. So everyone's green. So therefore, what are they? And they're just left on the periphery. But I like, I like everything they're doing around public transport.
1: I mentioned there's a lot of stuff in relation to RTE and some interesting revelations in the Mail on Sunday relating to RTE. As their front page says, RTE accused of cooking their books... This is, um, they've been accused of cooking their books by Neve Smith, who is uh, of the Orochthus Media Committee. And she's going to be joining us in a couple of minutes to explain uh, that accusation. Before we go to the break, though, while we're talking politics, your thoughts on the revelation on Friday of Donald Trump, the presumptive Republican nominee, being in a position wherein he has now been found by two juries of his peers to have sexually assaulted somebody Lied about it and defamed the victim. And he now has to cough up 90 million euro. And he is still likely by the polls to be at least 50 50 the next president.
0: Yeah. It's wonderful justice, though, isn't he? Was to pay 80, $83 uh, million dollars, Likely far more dollars. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, far more than uh, than than Carol actually asked for. Um, I mean, look, th- the coverage is basically saying he solidified his his base. Mm. Essentially, his base keeps on voting for him. But when it comes to the election, the base, some of the base will vote against him if he's convicted. There's there's four cases that uh, where there's going to be uh, there's going to be trials this year one of them is likely to derail him and actually if anyone is interested Politico have a great resource on their website where they've taken the four cases you can look exactly what the charges are against him remember one is in Georgia where he interfered with the elections there one is around uh, Washington when he tried to take over Uh, one is around the porn star um, uh, paying off a porn star basically so she wouldn't reveal the story etc and you can actually see what the allegations are you can see who the legal team are and you can see what the progress of the case is See this is the bit of
1: all of this that, uh, that still flummoxes me the, the kind of things that you cited in the middle of that as, as small throwaways yeah. that, you know the basis for some of these cases we know as a matter of fact he sexually assaulted somebody and defamed yeah. the victim we know as a matter of fact he got his lawyer to pay off a pornographic actress with whom he had an affair and it doesn't move the needle yeah.
4: Firstly let's. Name that woman Stormy Daniels, she's the hero we got and the hero we needed at that time. Uh, But more importantly, I think he'll have to actually shoot his supporter in the face, as he joked
3: about during the first
1: movie. Yeah, on Fifth Avenue, yeah,
4: yeah, Yeah. because
3: I just, uh, well, this is is a world where people who stormed the Capitol uh, of the United States Congress who resulted in the deaths and maiming and injuries of people are described by Donald Trump as hostages of the US justice system. So it's so counterfactual, it's so disbelieving, it's so buried in some other thought world that is distended from reality. None of this matters to those people.
0: If you're a reality TV show uh, star, you can get away with a lot.
3: Yeah, And you make your own reality. And and we're
4: going to live under his Supreme Court, sorry, not we, but Americans Mm. are, and by extension, sometimes culturally us, for... A lifetime.
1: We will move to RTE after the break because the uh, head of the Oroctus Media Committee has said that they are cooking their books in relation to Toy Show, the musical. She'll be joining us after this. It's front page of the Irish Daily Mail, or rather the Irish Mail on Sunday, quotes the Oroctus Media Committee head as accusing RTE of cooking the books in the wake of re- revelations regarding the funding of the ill-fated Toy Show, the musical. Well, Neve Smith is with us this morning. Good morning, Neve.
5: Good morning, Anton.
1: They're cooking the books. How?
5: Well, as we have seen from the quite damning report, the Grant Thornton one, there's been quite a number of issues that, uh, while are alarming hardly surprising from the hearings that we've had so far. Uh, But the piece you're referring to there is where monies were moved from revenue for advertising over to sponsorship and that was sponsorship uh, supposedly for the Toy Show The Musical that was inaccurate and untrue in the sense that there was only 45,000 actually available to the Toy Show The Musical Um, in sponsorship rather than the 120 that was actually on the books.
1: Now, let me just explain that for, for people who have yet to have a chance to read the story. The story, as outlined by the Mail on Sunday, says that in December of 2022, the chair of the Public Accounts Committee wrote to Dee Forbes asking about the finances for the Toy Show The Musical. She then wrote back in January saying the costs are commercially sensitive. And on the same day that she wrote to them, according to the paper, RTE's commercial department records a €75,000 transfer from an advertising budget into the Toy Show The Musical budget, and subsequent to that, an email within RTE referred to that as if it had been sponsorship for Toy Show The Musical. That's what you're saying is the cooking of the books, is it?
5: Uh, yes, it is. And, but I mean, that's only part of the story, Anton, for your listeners. I mean, the other, I suppose, alarming piece is the the, the board, the board who is appointed by the minister and meant to be the eyes and ears of the minister and the government in how RTE is spending their money. We now know that the board and um, well, some members of the board weren't privy to all the information or the even the meetings, the combi meetings that were held, which had some members of the executive and some members of the uh, board itself. But For me, uh, the board is the hierarchy of the organisation. It's who the executive is accountable to. And while that was the case, the executive were withholding and made a deliberate attempt, it would seem, from the report to withhold information from the board. So they didn't have the information in front of them that was critical to these decisions. The Toy Show itself never went for approval and we do know there was a precedence within RTE that any project over 2 million must go and should go to the board for approval. That never happened and some of the information that the board did get wasn't even accurate. So very difficult for a board to operate in those kind of circumstances.
1: Now, we've seen since the first of these revelations, a number of executives have fallen on their own swords. A number of executives have fallen on on, uh, redundancy packages, some of them significant, and a number of board uh, members have moved on or resigned. In that context, what are you looking for? Is it further resignations? Is it a new board?
5: Well, I I, I have said that this should should never be a witch hunt. That's that's the first thing. And I've always said we need to give fairness and respect to those who are involved here. There's been, um, I suppose, more honesty and clarity brought through the report that GT have done.
1: But there's also culpability Um, somewhere, isn't there?
5: Absolutely, absolutely. But my point really is that I don't want to see anybody else going off into the sunset with their coming to answer the questions and to try and draw a line under this. It's been hugely damaging to the entity of RTE, uh, an entity that is hugely respected within the country and part a cu- very important cultural institution and an organisation that the public very much depend on for accurate uh, information and it, it has always been a trusted source of information. Can I ask you, so,
1: because th- this whole thing since the outset has been Hamlet within, without the princess. Given D Forbes's non appearance at any Oroctis committees, are you holding out hope that she will appear before you at any point?
5: Of course, I am. I mean, the invitation stands open to Ms. Forbes whenever she is able and well enough to come before a committee, and that's. Today, tomorrow, next week, next month, whenever that might be the case. But the point I was making there about the executive and the board, I think it'd be much more helpful and useful to get into the bottom of all this if everybody would stay in situ. uh, We have cleared the agenda uh, of our committee meeting for the 14th, which should give us enough time to have sight of the report on the severages packages. And that will give all of my colleagues on the committee um, ample time hopefully, to have all of the information in front of us that we can have a fulsome uh, Iraqis Committee hearing with board members and executive members. And I think even the former chair would be critical and, and, and important to that hearing for us to bring clarity to the situation.
1: Neve, thank you for your time on the show this morning. That is Neve Smith, who is head of the Oireachtas Media Committee. And again, that story in the mail suggesting that RTE moved around monies um, from an advertising account that was TV advertising and that it was then put into an account that made it appear to be Toy Show Musical Direct Sponsorship. Paul, you're in in the, the PR business. The bit in all of this that I don't quite understand is the sheer level of confidence about the projections for the earnings for this show. I would have thought uh, it is high risk putting on a show of this nature to predicate the revenues on 100% attendance for the entire run. It has to verge on hubris, doesn't it? I, I,
4: I haven't seen the report so I'd wait on it. I mean, you know, some my problem with all of this is it's all conflated as if it's the same thing where it's, it's actually three or four different scandals and three or four different things that they tried that didn't happen. It feels like theatre, especially the pack and the media committee was interesting theatre over the summer. I think the theatre, ironically, since we're talking about a show, is over because they now have to look at the reports and go, how do we sustain RTE into a, you know, when we're heading into elections that are probably going to be the great disinformation elections where we need trust in both private and public media. For me, you know, I mean, if RTE had, and I'm just supposing here, you know, if they'd had the rights to Riverdance, there wouldn't have been a hole in the accounts.
1: Sorry, you know,
4: like if, 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 if Riverdance had remained an RTE production, for example, you know, the amount of money that Riverdance made over I'm just saying uh, the toy show was never going to be that. I actually attended it and it was a great high production value thing. It was just but like even that, that like baffles me. I mean,
1: you mentioned Riverdance. I would have thought, and maybe I am naive, mm. that if you are setting up a musical, you look around the organisation and you say, I wonder, does anybody know about musicals? Well, our current chairperson produced the single most successful musical in the history of this state and possibly the globe. Maybe I might bounce it off her and see is all this feasible. But it would appear that didn't happen. Simply
3: extraordinary. I think there's a big issue about the board because there may be different scandals, different issues. But there's only ever one board. It goes back there. to the board, yeah. And uh, all of the, these responsibilities go back to the board. Most especially if they didn't know. Because the ultimate litmus test of competence. If you were a director of uh, a very small company, you'd be likely looking at disqualification.
1: Now, can you explain one thing to me as well in terms of the RTE scandal? Because there's two issues out of this now. The ongoing thing of how RTE funds itself, because we have on the front of the Sunday Indo Um, Michal Martin being quoted or rather Leo Vradker being quoted as saying that he wants RTE to just be paid for directly out of exchequer funding like it's the OPW so one issue is how do you fund RTE the other I would have thought is how are you going to get board members for RTE If you want to be a non-executive on a PLC board, you get 60k a year and very little in the way of public opprobrium. If you want to join RTE, you get 15 but you have to turn it down so you have no money and you are in the glare of publicity in an organisation that's dysfunctional.
0: Who's going to do it? But people join boards when organisations are in difficulty because it's not all about the fanfare and looking good. You actually have to go in as well as a governor to help an organisation move to the right place. I mean, there's so much more in that RTE than just even the boards. Mm. Like if I wanted to move 75 grand from one account to another, my head of finance wouldn't let me do it, basically. I mean, so it's all at all levels in terms of, you know, governance of the organisation and regularity. But I do think you will get people stepping forward who want to do the right thing when, when it comes to RTE. I mean, does it be-
1: If I had the choice, if I'm offered, now regardless of whether or not if this you, should be the you, case, yeah. but if you have the choice of being on CRH for 70 grand a year, or you can be on Kingspan for 50 grand a year, or you can be Ryanair for 60 grand a year, I'm assuming roughly these are the kind of figures. And you, you're answerable only to the investors in essence in the market or I can join if, RT for you, nothing and be in the
2: gaze. If you
0: believe in public sector broadcasting, if you believe in the rights of the Irish people to have independent productions to make sure arts and culture is represented in, on, on television and public sector broadcasting, if you believe in equality for the staff, you'll put yourself forward for a role like that. I don't think that's the issue. But there's something huge about to happen. Um, the board are about to be invited into the Oireachtas Committee to be questioned about the decisions that they've made. Even a board member who has done nothing wrong will find that really challenging. It is very difficult to go into the Rocktas Committee. I mean, we, we take politicians for granted for their ability to go in and talk to Rocktas Committees and answer questions. Most ordinary people can't do that. there would be concerned that some of them would resign in advance of that, and you won't get to the centre of the story. But with all of this, and this is the uncomfortable truth for anyone involved in being a governor of an organisation, it is your fault. All of this is your fault and your responsibility why these things have happened. Uh, but you haven't played the role that you were meant to do.
1: So how are they going to fund themselves?
4: I don't know. I believe there's a split in government between you know, the, the belief of how they should fund themselves. I, I personally think it will end up as a public service only and that an awful lot of uh, what would have been the commercial side will be farmed out to independent production houses. Um, but broadcast through RTE but broadcast through RTE as a, yeah, I suppose it's closer to, I I really don't know, but I, I think at the heart of a lot of this is the hybrid nature, that it was neither one nor the other. And as we're now on News Talk and there are many other fine radio and TV stations, the private sector does tend to work itself. So perhaps its public service remit should be what it becomes. I think a lot of people in the newsroom and in the core of the organisation are very interested in you know, one of those reports around the, the redundancy payments and the, the scheme, and you know the exit schemes and all that. I think that's going to be that's going to be where a lot of people in RTE are going to be concentrating. Surely, there's
1: evidence around the world of broadcast organisations being able to have commercial endeavour and a public service remit together. I mean, if you look at the BBC's commercial arm and all that it does with its publishing wing and with all of its production stuff, it's huge, and we don't. It doesn't apparently poison the organisation the way RTE has shown itself to be.
4: Yeah and and, and it's Maybe we're, it's just a function we're of a small, small market. Yeah, we're too small. You know? We're too
0: small. I mean, the private interests had too much influence over E. and there's a different culture in how commercial organisations mm-hmm. operate and public sector organisations operate. I mean, in a public sector organisation, you're not allowed to give gifts. You're not allowed to spend money on socialising. In a commercial one, you can. It's actually part, a necessary part of the business model that you wine and dine people to make sure you can hold on to their custom. So there was a problem with the two coming together, and you can see even in terms of the committee trying to hold RTE accountable, you know, and often the response of oh, this is commercially sensitive information, and it probably genuinely was yep. commercially sensitive information, but it can't be addressed. I mean, I, I worry greatly they will decimate RTE, that the talent inside the door actually who've been really solid and who've been really important um, in that public sector of broadcasting, I'm, I'm really concerned about mass redundancies and the impact it's going to have. When it comes to funding RTE and all of this, this has to end. I mean, this can't continue. Mm. The public's interest and faith in public sector broadcasting has been really shaken by the, the continuance of these different scandals. It all has to be put out on the table and done and addressed. But the state has to fund the gap, I think. But uh, you but know, through
1: I, a fee or through direct taxation into the, I think a you a probably need both. To be
0: honest, I do. I think you That's probably need both so, to maintain the independence of the organisation.
3: First of all, to say I do a little bit of work with Virgin Media, and these opinions are entirely my own. But I just want to make that clear. Uh, there is an issue about how public money now through the licence fee is transferred to RTE and that there is no distinction in the RTE accounts Mm. between how that public money, licence fee money is used and how their commercial money is used. So you go through it page after page, you can't tell which was which and what was what. And that miasma has to stop. There has to be a clear uh, fee uh, um, funding of public service remit from public money through some method and that then has to be accounted for clearly and separately In a, and that would be a big
1: change and none of this would have happened by the way mm. if that had happened historically. So hang on how does that work in practice if we, if we cast our minds back to the days of Gay Boz so news if we have talk, a mixed programme where mm. some of it is current affairs and some of it is light entertainment do I end up having to account at the end of the year and say well there's the four political interviews I'm paying for them out of this budget and then the rest of it is out of a commercial budget? So I think what you, you have to
3: keep things transparent but also reasonably simple so some things are really really clear, for example, news programmes, mm. current affairs programmes, children's programmes, a lot of culture stuff would clearly be public service broadcasting, full stop, right? You take uh, an Anton Savage show, it's not clear, because there is this and that and there's a variety, of right? And what you have to do is arrive at an opinion that it's 60-40, 50-50, 70-30, you can't be measuring every minute, every day, mm. there has to be some Broad brushstrokes, and and on that basis, you proceed.
1: Tech saying um, the toy show doll show trial is just an opportunity for politicians to showboat. I'm sick of it. Um, Another, um, still no board members or senior directors held accountable. Instead, they threw Ryan Tuberty under the bus. Unbelievable. Another, can we cop on about RTE? More lost every day on the Children's Hospital project than the ridiculous toy show debacle. We need to get over ourselves and move on. Could I suggest that that is probably now the consensus opinion, that everybody is just sick to the back teeth of the whole thing?
4: Yeah, I, I think it's it's implement the reports or yeah. or find out what's there and get the job done. I don't think there's an
3: appetite yeah, for political theater. This, this, this is now playing into something. And the sick to the back teeth of this going on for so long is is one uh, issue. The second issue is a looming general election. Mm. And the third issue, which is the two of those are synthesizing in a new season, the Theatrix remarks, I think, is that... Um, some people in government will want to get this sorted somehow, anyhow. Does before, it matter on the doorsteps? No, but it matter to us hugely for the reasons Tanya said. Mm. The necessity of having a really good public service broadcaster doing really well for Ireland in the decades ahead is much more important in the future, actually, than it's ever been in the past. Well, I don't so know so wrong decisions for the wrong reasons, under pressure,
0: yeah.
3: won't come to the best outcome. I mean,
0: mm. look, look, look at the situation in other countries. I mean, the UK has the BBC... But look at how the Tories have been able to maintain control because they have those private newspapers, and that has had a massive effect on why people are voting and on the, the outcome in the country. I mean, the country is on its last legs because the Tories are in control. Look at America; people are all voting for Trump because their main media source of these private news sources, um, uh, and, and they're, they're the things people need to hold. Um, we need independent broadcasting. We, we also need uh,
4: we we also need a dobbo shaped hole filled quickly. The nation. <laughs> The no nation point. is un, un, unbalanced.
1: <laughs> Speaking of, of the dabo shaped hole, because Dobbo, of course, Brian Dobson retiring out of RTE. Uh, Brian Dobson, a staff member rather than a freelancer, which is unusual because yeah. so many went um, freelance. Brian Dobson remained a staff member throughout, I think, 30 plus years of his career. He is interviewed in one of the papers um, this weekend. My apologies to which paper it is because I, I can't remember offhand. Um, but he is interviewed talking about the situation in RTE. He's very critical of D Forbes, isn't he? He's
4: he's he's letting it out all right, and uh, I hope nothing befalls him like befell Tuberty and his resignation, because I just need some stability in my life.
1: But um, I was intrigued by this it's Sunday Indo, by the way. It's uh, he was asked about um, Kevin Backhurst, and he yeah. said that Backhurst he worked with in the newsroom and was mm. a terrific boss, and he has great hopes from. And he's asked about D Forbes, and you would have thought he'd kick so far into touch. Yeah, but he said, I think that he she failed to get a, a handle on the organisation, and that a lot of what she tried to do didn't come to anything.
4: Yeah, and some did, and. There There's always a tension between, I think, the newsroom and the workers and the execs over in the other building as well. I think that's natural. Um, So I think they do see Backhurst as, you know, a news person, you know, at start and also someone that they can work with. And I think they were all hoping for him to get in the first time when he went for the job. So, you know, they have who they have. It goes back to your question on the board. I think it's absolute board accountability, but I wouldn't be as pessimistic that people wouldn't go in to the board now because it's clean yeah, now. It's clean. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're not going yeah. to be it's blamed it. a great for it. time
3: to go yeah. on the board yeah. of RTE. The plane yeah. won't crash twice, yeah. actually. We hope.
1: RTE tends to crash about every eight years. <laughs> no, I mean, i not being facetious. If you actually look back at RTE, RTE's periods of a decade or more of relative quiet stability, you're hard pushed to find them. Uh, largely not because that there is a problem within the organisation but if it is of that scale and that public attention and that influential in the discourse as it is it's always going to be fairly front and centre in the public mind Will you be throwing your name in the hatchet? I won't Why? What about <laughs> Tanya's call to altruistic duty?
3: I, I, I And I, I do serve on a board that is a charity and I wouldn't volunteer myself at the RT board because I have a conflict of interest and I think skills much greater
1: than mine are required Tanya, will you be putting your name in?
0: Not for the RTE have to, board but have I, to, I have gone I have gone on to boards where they've been in difficulty and I've been asked to come on to help them essentially because we've good governance awards in the children's rights line so we know the different rules you have to have in place so they ask you to come on will you help us put these five different rules in place and it's very unpopular work when you go to do it to be honest because uh, usually some people have to move off the board some people have to move off the staff as well to get those kind of rules in place so I know I, I would have confidence as people out there that want that are committed to public sector broadcasting and, and they put themselves forth and that's How it says, all the issues have been dealt with, you're coming on with clean hands and it's really about making the ship sails in the right direction. Let me round
1: out the set. Paul, will you be throwing your name in?
4: I have even less skills than Tanya and Jared, (laughs) so I would not be putting myself forward for that. Also, I have to declare a Uh, non-interest. My son recently called me a non-playing character because my wife worked there for 25 years. All my friends are in there. My kids went to the creche there. I feel like the person who's most you know, entwined with RTE when I have absolutely no skin in the game whatsoever. I love the institution. I think it's amazing. I want to see it thrive and I love a lot of the individuals that are in there.
1: From the outside, it looked like a lovely crash.
4: It it was a great crash. They knocked down to make a gate but the kids it's now nice just <laughs> they only eat hummus they're very Dublin 4 I bring them back down to Tipperary to get real again you can't it's it's a, an echo chamber
1: Paul Hayes CEO of Beach Hut PR Jared Helen, public affairs commentator analyst uh, advisor and of course columnist with the uh, Irish Times and Tanya Ward of the Children's Rights Alliance where she is chief executive guys thank you all very much The Anton Savage Show brought to you by PwC Sunday mornings from 10 on Talk.